Thank you for joining us for another episode of Fish Bites. As always, my name is Danny Martinez, and you are here on a special day. It is actually Mother's Day version. Uh, special shout out to all of the moms out there. A very unique one from my mother, who is truly my hero alongside my wife. The things that, Ma, you have gone through, the things that you have survived, the things that you have done for me and for those around you is truly um, a blessing and a testament to who you are. And I just want you to know that I love you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, fellas, everyone, moms, we have a good episode today because, quite frankly, um, there's a lot of excitement for a team that is on route for a historically bad win-loss record. There is a lot of change that happened this week, which I will happily report to you after a week of, you know, tough article pieces and the Dembo versus Dog situation and um, the termination of Chip Bowers and a lot of things that were uh, distasteful, the way that it was interpreted and sent out. We have a lot to report that's good. So we're going to talk about that today. Craig Mish uh, reported, and it's been already confirmed by the Marlins, one of the top prospects, Harold Ramirez, is being called up. We're going to go into the impact that he can make and who he is for those that might not know him. Garrett Cooper is healthy and again in the lineup. We'll also talk about the corresponding moves that had to happen for them to come on up, as well as Eliza Hernandez that come up came up from AAA. We're going to have a conversation centered around tanking. Uh, whether the Marlins consider this rebuild or quote-unquote build a tank, uh, it's a conversation piece that continues to come up in emails and in Twitter and in direct messages about whether it's the right time to be doing this, right? Because tanking and rebuilding can work and it has a high success rate lately, but it has to correlate with talent that you can come and target. We're going to look at, at these briefly at these drafts and see if really, and we're going to answer the question, are the Marlins bad at the right time? Basically, that's what we're asking. And we're going to finish up with a conversation that if I'm being honest with you, I've been avoiding. It's a conversation that a lot of you have wanted me to have. I have been avoiding the conversation of Don Mattingly and managerial options if he's not back next year because I don't like having the conversation of, um, of anyone, whether it's a player or whether it's a coach or whether it's an executive that is currently here and that is busting their tail for the team. But it's a fair conversation, right? He's on his last year of uh, his contract. There is a reason to understand and believe and at least look hypothetically to see if he's not here what the rest of the options would be like moving forward for the Marlins. So we're going to have that conversation as well, but, but we're going to start off as always with our trending players. And I know I got a little lazy last week. I, I think it was justified, right? I told you, look, just copy and paste Caleb Smith and copy and paste George Alfaro. And there you have your trending players. I won't do that to you this week. I feel like I could, I feel like I could tell you that Caleb Smith is, again, the guy who you should be paying attention to on the pitching side, and I wouldn't get an issue with that, but I won't, okay? I won't. So so you you want a different player for this week. My guy is Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson is a relief pitcher. He's only had two outings this week, okay? Um, two sc scoreless outings, perfect outings against the Chicago Cubs. Nothing Cubs, nothing to write home about, right? Uh, but I think that he's my selection because he earns recognition for the entire year. Um, really, aside from one outing against the Braves where he gave up, I believe it was five runs, okay? If you take away that outing, I know we don't live in a world of takeaway, but if we take away that outing, he has been absolutely dominant. A sub-two ERA, 30 strikeouts to five walks, 
um, that's what you want to see. I mean, that's what you want to see from a guy who, who was a very under the radar move this off season when he was acquired by the Marlins and by this this current baseball operations staff and regime. And yet he's shown us exactly why he was targeting. He was targeted. I mean, just dominant, dominant with his velocity, with his ability to control and, and have solid position where he's trying to place the ball, inducing weak contact, striking out hitters at an alarming rate. I mean, just a very, very good pickup by the Marlins and acquisition acquisition. And he's he's had a good year. He's had a good year and absolutely, you know, you look at his ERA right now, it's over four, but you take away that one bad outing. I think everyone's allowed to have a bad outing every once in a while. And he has been a dominant part of an otherwise um, not so dominant bullpen. On the hitting side, someone who's who's different than Nick Anderson. Uh, Nick Anderson, I said, could be a part of the competitive core moving forward a few podcasts ago and we entertained that question. This someone on the position side is someone who probably won't be here August 1st. Um, Neil Walker was acquired this offseason, one of the nicest guys in baseball, one of the most versatile. He's become versatile uh, over the ending of last parts of his career, and he's hitting really well, really well. Uh, his last seven games, this is his slash. Average is 421 on basis 522. Slugging is 526, four walks to five strikeouts. And, you know, you might say, okay, well, that's seven games. All right, over his last 15 games, average 457, on base 568, slugging 600, nine walks to six Ks. That's translating to a very good veteran piece added and a valuable possible trade piece at the trade deadline July 31st. Over the year right now, he's 289, 382, 443, three home runs, 14 walks to 24 strikeouts. You know... I understand, and I think most people understand that veterans on a one-year deal, I think even they do, when you sign with a rebuilding team, you're most likely going to get flipped, right? You're going to get flipped like Cameron Maben did, like Brad Ziegler did. That This is what happens um, when you produce. And then at the end of the, you know, at the end of the transaction, no one's, no one's upset. The team who gave up something for a Neil Walker, Right. A hypothetical team, July 1st gives July 31st, gives up something for Neil Walker, is doing so because they're in the playoff race and they want a bat likely that can platoon and provide some pop. So they got them. The Marlins, in a non-competitive year because they're rebuilding, get an asset, a future asset for Neil Walker. And Neil Walker gets to go play on a playoff contending team. Right. You know, we always feel bad this individual gets assigned here, acquired, and then well, they're just gonna flip him. Uh, everyone understands this. Yeah, the agent understands this. You go to Miami because you couldn't get the deal you want or because you've bought into what they're doing. You help while you can until July 31st, where if you have played well enough, you are likely going to be traded to a competitive team. And that's what we all want, right, is, is wins. All right, we all want the money, sure, whatever. But at this point in the contract, at this point in his career, yeah, he's fine there, I would assume. So then we go and we play on a competitive team. It's just a win-win for everybody. Uh, so at least trending, all right? Nick Anderson, very different position than Neil Walker when we're talking about how he looks in the outlook of the franchise, but still nice to see two guys there that were acquired in the offseason producing. I have a bonus for you guys. Also acquired in the offseason. Also someone that was a little bit under the radar. Someone that I actually had to write the preview piece, or I chose to write the preview piece on during the offseason for Fish Stripes. Uh, Rosel Herrera has decided to go 313, get on base 45% of the time uh, over the last week and change. He has three walks and four strikeouts. Oh, and by the way, he's playing elite defense wherever you put him. 
You want him to start a game in shortstop? Not a problem. Diving play in the hole. You want him to start a game in center field? Not a problem. Right field? Not an issue. You want him to run, steal some bags? Not a problem. This was someone who was, uh, again, and I wrote this in the piece, he was a top prospect before he got hurt. But he got hurt and he started having issues with his wrists. You would imagine that that would not be you know, the kind of injury. That and the core is where you don't want to get injured as a hitter. Um, but he did. And he fell off. He fell off. He wasn't able to regain any of that power that he was showing early on. He wasn't even able to have really gap production. Um, but he's producing right now. And he's getting a chance because, number one, Lewis Brinson got demoted you know, for good reason, for good developmental reason. And the rest of the outfield isn't necessarily performing on par with what we need them to be. So why not give Herrera a good look, right? He was uh, the ultimate flyer. And I don't say that because he's fast. He was the ultimate flyer to, to acquire, an ex-top prospect who, you know, was hitting well and had elite defense. And, you know, teams gave up on him because of his injury. And then all of a sudden, you come here and he's hitting over 300 and getting on base 45% of the time over the last week and change. That's a good job done by the Marlins. It's also a beautiful transition to the first dialogue piece because the first dialogue piece is about the news again that i, I stated that craig mesh uh, craig mish reported and then got confirmed by the marlins where harold ramirez has been promoted why is that a good transition well for those that don't know harold ramirez harold ramirez is 24 harold ramirez much like herrera was also a top prospect he was actually a top 100 prospect uh, in the blue jay system as late as 2016 i believe he was a top 100 prospect he also hits very well he hits much actually much better than russell herrera um just just a pure bat to ball contact type of hitter but he has a, a little bit more power as well he also had a developmental injury in his knee that declined his performance overall and he was also let go by an organization because he wasn't able to regain what the trajectory was that he was on and my last also i promise he also was acquired by the marlins so very much like herrera harold ramirez is someone that we could look at and say oh well he's just another he's just another maybe fourth outfielder i, I would discourage that line of thinking he's, he might not be he might not be his slash this year is again at age 24 in New Orleans, first time that he's in AAA, hitting 355, getting on base 40% of the time. His slugging is 591. He has 12 doubles, added a triple in there for good measure, four home runs, and he's only striking out 15% of the time. Again, he makes contact. Is he a Russell Herrera on the defense? Absolutely not. His defense will be limited. Uh, he lost some speed with his knee injuries. He's probably limited to left field, even though he could also likely play right if you need him to, but he's never going to step foot in center. But you're not getting him for that. You're bringing him up for his bat. Uh, you know, you're also not bringing him up because he was once a top 100 designation, but that that doesn't hurt. And, and that's where I want to get to here. If MLB Pipeline or if Baseball America or anyone had decided to put him as a top five prospect for the Marlins, or if he was a top 100 prospect right now in baseball, people would be going crazy that Harold Ramirez slashing 355, 408, 591 just got called up for the fish. But because he isn't, people fall into this fallacy that, oh, where's his name on the top 100? Or where is his name in X, Y, and Z? Very similar to what people do with Magnera Sierra. Very similar to what people do with Jose Devers. People that are lighting up the minors but don't get a second look because their names aren't sexy enough. Well, let me tell you, learn to find the sexiness in Harold Ramirez. Because the guy can hit. And it's a beautiful sight to see him in the lineup. 
whether Donnie's going to bat him seventh or eighth, I'm sure. But it's a beautiful sight to see him in the lineup regardless. Uh, let's see what can happen. I'll also add this with Ramirez. If you remember a few episodes ago, the question was, what should we be looking at the major league level? What players, right? And my answer was, listen, the baby-faced aces, all of the young arms in the bullpen, but you also want to probably be focusing heavily on Brian Anderson and George Alfaro, right? Jorge Alfaro. Those are the two cornerstone pieces you want to see performing moving forward. I, I think you can add Harold Ramirez, although to a lesser extent, I understand that. You can add Harold Ramirez to the list and the whiteboard that you have in your house of, oh, he's up to bat. Let me not change the channel. I think that that's something you can do very healthily, all right, and understand that there will be growing pains. That this is his major league debut. I think he got Ricky Nolasco's number forty-seven. He's 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 going to have um, a transition period, but he's someone that you can add to the list. Someone um, to a lesser extent to add to that list of Alfaro, Anderson, and Ramirez. On, in my end, is still Garrett Cooper. Uh, the reports are also again Garrett Cooper is healthy. He is now going to be. Uh, promoted back to the Marlins. Someone you can add to that list. You know, Garrett Cooper's story, we all know his story. He hits really well, right? He is a good hitter. He has some level of power and he's pretty athletic for his body type. But man, he gets hurt a lot. And it's not even on things that are usually conditioning. The last time it was, you know, he got hit, hit by pitch in the hands. I think the first game that he came back, he got hit by pitch in the hands. Those are things that you can't necessarily control, but I can only imagine how frustrating it is for him. And man, you know, if you ever listen to this, I'm very happy that you're healthy and that you're back. And I can't wait for you to show individuals that that hit tool that you have. So in my in my eyes, look, I know we all look at the Marlins game and we want to see everyone. Of course, right? I'm not saying, oh, when Prado's up, turn off the, the thing or when Walker's up. No, Walker was just the guy that I chose as my trending player. But for those of you that tune in because you're looking for the future of the organization, I say that today was a good day. Because you doubled the list of players that you could see up to bat, that you could say, you know what, in two, three years, he's still going to be here. And in two, three years, when the Marlins are ready to compete, he might be a guy in the lineup. Harold Ramirez, Garrett Cooper called up, but not those two alone. Eliza Hernandez, pitcher, he was a Rule 5 draft pick last year. He got called up. He's been dominating in, in New Orleans. If you go listen to like the sister podcast here of Earning Their Stripes with myself, Ian Smith, and Ethan Badowski, you know, we this week went on a rant of how Hernandez and Harold Ramirez needed to be called up already. And they did, right? So self-clap for us. Hernandez already on the 40 man. That's why he gets called up before Gallon. But it's not just a lazy 40 man move. Hernandez has been lighting the minor leagues up. His ERA is close to what Gallon's is, 116 or something like that. It's nice to see him there, whether he's going to be a swing man, whether he's going to be the first out of the, the pen, whatever the case is, it's nice to see that they took a shot on a Rule 5 last year. He was an Astros organization. They were able to keep him on the Major League roster all year, even though he was hurt for a bit. So they were able to retain him. And now he has shown what he can do at New Orleans, and he got the promotion. For those that want to see Zach Gallen, he'll he'll be coming up soon enough. If anything, I say just don't don't rush him. I mean, there's no need right now. The, the rotation's full. Let him continue dominating AAA. He'll be up here soon enough. Uh, the corresponding moves with those three, Peter O'Brien was transitioned to the 10-day injured list. I'm still getting used to not saying DL. Uh, Drew Steckenrider was transitioned to the 60-day DL or IL. See, I already messed that one up. Then um, Jose Quijada was optioned as well as Isaac Galloway. So, again... 
Look for Harold Ramirez in the lineup. Look for Garrett Cooper in the lineup. Look for Hernandez taking the mound. It's an exciting time to see our prospects that are performing well, especially Harold Ramirez and especially Hernandez, come up and see if they can help this rotation, uh, rather help this lineup, and then help the pen a little bit on Hernandez's side. The second thing we'll talk about today, and the first dialogue question uh, of the night or of the podcast, is the question about tanking. You know, this question was found in an email, and I'm not going to read the entire email, but the the particular question was verbatim, is it worth tanking, question mark? Are they tanking at the right time, question mark? So I'm not sure exactly what that individual meant, but I'm assuming they mean tanking as in forcibly losing games, right? So a rebuild. And are they doing it at the right time? Um, Here's the thing, right? Here's the preface that everyone that talks about this is going to tell you, whether it's Greg Mish, whether it's Joe Fasaro, whether it's myself, is... The Marlins are going to try to win every single game. Derek Jeter from the top to the bottom is going to say that we need to win every single game, that we're being competitive. And I I believe it. I understand it, right? Miguel Rojas is not going to roll into a double play because he wants to. He's rolling in a double play because it just happens, right? He's not tanking the game. None of our pitchers are going out there hoping to inflate their ERA and their FIP. None of our hitters are trying to strike out 75 times. No no one's doing this. Um, But when you needed to rebuild... You are going to predictably lose a lot of games. So you can call that tanking. You can call that rebuilding. You can call it intelligent or you can call it stupid. I don't care what you label it. The reality is that regardless of how you label it, it yields a losing season. It yields a lot of losing. So is it worth tanking? I think correlates very well with that follow-up, which is are they tanking at the right time? Because here's the thing. A lot of teams can tank. It doesn't mean that they're going to succeed in doing it. Now, make no mistake, over the last decade or decade or so, a lot of teams have started rebuilding. I'm going to go with the word rebuilding instead of tanking. A lot of teams have started rebuilding, and we've had a high success rate. Right? We, we see it. The Astros, the, Car- the Cubs, the Royals, the Braves, the Phillies. We, we see it. A long list of teams that have had um, very good success at rebuilding. Actually, we just had Trevor Rogers on for an interview that will be published this upcoming week on Entering Their Stripes, and he, he pointed to the Astros as a good comparison of what this franchise is trying to replicate. It's been successful lately. Doesn't mean it's always going to be successful. The White Sox seems like they've been rebuilding for a decade. Not really, but like for four years. The, the Royals hit their, their, their match for two years, three years of competition, and then that was it. We're done back. They're back again. They're competing with us. To let's see who can get the number one pick, which we'll talk about in a second. So it doesn't always work, but the Marlins are doing it in a very intelligent fashion where they focused on pitching first because it's easier to acquire hitting when you have pitching than it is to acquire pitching when you have hitting. It doesn't work the same way going, going both ways. It's a much better spot to have all the pitching in the world, which the Marlins do every single night. You can look in the minor league box scores and find one pitcher, at least one pitcher, taking the mound, either in Clinton, in Jupiter, in Jacksonville, or New Orleans, which can be a future mid-to-top rotation piece for the Marlins. They have, they have nailed that. When Mike Kill says layers of talent, he's talking about the pitching. What do they not have? Well, they don't have a boatload of, of hitting, right? And if they do, even the hitters that we do have are very volatile, low-hit tool type of hitters. Now, make no mistake, they have the hitters, and I won't go through the list of them, right? Mesa and Isan and Monte. They have hitters, but it's not equivalent to what they have on the pitching side. So to answer the question of, are they tanking at the right time? We would have to know if they would be able to acquire hitting in this year's draft and in next year's draft, because that's what they need right now. 
And these are the first two rebuilding years. Okay. I understand we are in year two, year three of the rebuild, but this is their first two rebuilding drafts. Last year's draft was the slot was dependent on the 2017 team, which is why I believe they picked 13th. Right. That's not a rebuilding draft. That, that, that draft wasn't a product of rebuilding. It was a product of a mediocre team that some fans still think they shouldn't have rebuilt, but whatever. But this year and next year are products of a rebuilding draft. And these are the two that they better hit because they're not going to be this bad for the next draft. They're not going to be picking top five again for the next draft. They might be picking top 10, right? I'm not saying that they're all of a sudden going to be back picking 15. I'm not going to say they're going to go 500 next year. But they're not going to be this bad again for the up upcoming, not this year, next year, obviously, but the upcoming like 2021 draft, they're not going to be in the top five. So you better nail it with these two. And it means you better have gotten lucky when you're rolling the dice on drafts if they answer what you need. So do they answer what the Marlins need? Does this year's draft and next year's draft have hitting? Yes. <laughs> and it has a lot of it. They really got lucky. If, if what the Marlins had assessed and what they had traded for was, was hitting, so they had a lot of hitting right now and they needed pitching in the draft, this would be a very, very pessimistic podcast because there's no pitching. <laughs> Baseball America just released an article for this year saying that if you are a team looking for pitching, good luck. Find it elsewhere because you're not going to find it in the draft. There's pieces. Of course there are. There are always pieces. Lodolo, Espino, there's pieces, all right? No one's saying that there aren't, but not when you compare it to the hitting of this draft. This draft runs six, seven, eight hitters deep before you get to really the first slot where you could see a pitcher being taken. This draft, Baseball America has sent out multiple times, and I believe Fangraphs, there was a blog about this one as well. Um, the top five hitters in this draft could have gone number one, two, or three in a bunch of the drafts over the last 10 years. That's how good this draft is when it comes to hitting which is what the Marlins need. That's how good this draft is. So when you're talking about did the Marlins get lucky, basically, are we bad at the right time? Yep. We're bad at the right time because we need hitting and these next two drafts are loaded with bats. So what do I see the draft looking like? And I won't go too far into this because earning their stripes, again, myself, Ian, Ethan, are going to talk about this in depth. We're going to take an entire episode and make it about the draft, okay? But what do I see at least the top four picks looking like? Number one, it's 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 Adley Rushman. It's 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 the catcher. I mean, it just is. <laughs> you know, if 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 they somehow fall in love with Bobby Witt, and we'll talk about him a second, then maybe that's who the Orioles take first. But the, the pick should be should be it should be Adley. I mean, he is one of the more advanced bats that you're going to see come out of college this entire decade. Sixty hit tool, sixty power tool. He's elite behind the 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 plate as well. He is what a one one looks like. Right, so you can you can take Adley off the board because he's not going to be there at four. Second, I would assume that the Royals probably take Bobby Witt Jr. Um, at this time last year, Bobby Witt Jr. was the Zeon Williamson, the LeBron James of baseball. Seriously, everyone was okay. We need a tank for Witt, tank for Witt, suck for Witt. Whatever the case is, everyone wanted to be number one to take Witt because no one saw Adley Rushman coming in. But Witt is still that player. It's just that, you know, freaking Rushman decided to just light the world on fire and, and, and he's going to end up being the 1-1 most likely. But Witt is that generational prep player. He plays shortstop and he is phenomenal. 
they'll probably be number two. So Witt is not there for number four. Then we get to number three with the White Sox, and here is where it really, really, truly gets interesting. The White Sox should take Andrew Vaughn here. Andrew Vaughn is a first baseman. He's in college, California. His hit is a 60. His power is a 60. You're not drafting him for his defense, so don't worry about his defense. You're drafting him because he has one of the more advanced bats that have come out of um, college in this last decade. If Adley wasn't in this draft because he's this generational player, then Vaughn would be the most advanced bat right now. Vaughn is someone who you can see uh, getting to the majors even within, I know it sounds crazy, but a year and a half of being drafted? Two years? The White Sox should take him. But hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. And hopefully they go with what some of the reports are saying out there, which is that they really, really like the shortstop from high school, C.J. Abrams. C.J. Abrams uh, was paired last year. He's a lefty. Was paired last year with Witt as the generational shortstops of the future. Right? When you're thinking about the, the, the ridiculous class of shortstops in the major league level right now, they, Witt and Abrams were compared to those guys. Like this was the class that was going to set up the future of shortstops for major league baseball. He's, he's a prep bat, right? And his, his grades from multiple sites right now really vary when it comes to his hit tool, but his 50, 55, very limited power. No one, no one has him over a 45 with power, but he's elite fast, 75. He has a good arm, good glove in, in, in short. Overall, just again, could be a generational type player. Those, those are your top four, right? Rushman, who's going to be gone. Witt Jr., who's likely going to be gone. Vaughn, and then Abrams. And then the other person that I would want you to look at right now is J.J. Bleday. J.J. Bleday is a left-handed outfielder from Vanderbilt, which has connections to the Marlins. 55 hit, 55 power, and average to above average defense. This is the advanced bat that you look at to take at four if Vaughn is not there. If Vaughn is not, if Vaughn is there, rather, if the White Sox fall in love with Abrams and they take Abrams from my, from my mouth to the ear of God, take Abrams, White Sox, then the Marlins and their fan base should rejoice because the Marlins can go up there and take Andrew Vaughn and find their future first baseman or DH because I believe the DH is coming to National League within two to three years. And you just, I mean, you run to the podium like Usain bolted up there. And you take Andrew Vaughn. If Andrew Vaughn is not there, I believe it comes down basically to the three players, C.J. Abrams, which we went over, J.J. Blade, which we went over, or Hunter Bishop, which is another outfielder with another advanced bat. He is also in college. Or actually, yes, he's also in college in Arizona State. One of those three, one of those four, I'll say. If, if Vaughn is there, you take him. But if not, one of those three will be the pick. Abrams, Blade, or Bishop. If, if I was, you know... GM Danny, right? If not, I, I have no idea. There, there are other names. That Riley Green is a really advanced prep bat. You know, Ian is going to talk a lot about Bryson Stott with very good reason. He is an advanced bat, uh, shortstop, college level. Josh Young is an infielder, likely a third baseman, also advanced. You know, there's there's options there. There are options there. And then, you know, you could maybe talk about Nick Lodolo. That's the, the first arm that I think will come off the um, come off the draft board. But but with me, it's very simple. I'm here to talk about bats, 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 because that's what the Marlins need. And because that's what this draft is all about. And if you're there and Vaughn is there, you take it. 
And if not, you're in between Abrams, Lede, Bishop, Green, Stott, or Young. And either way, you're getting an advanced bat. But here's where Marlins fans can really fantasize and work with me here because I really might start drooling. The Marlins are historically bad this year. And while I do believe that they are going to be better, because I truly do believe that they are going to be able to call up individuals, right? Monte, Diaz, Gallon, whatever the case is. And I believe that when they call up those players, the Marlins offense will get a little better and their defense and their pitching will be improved. But if they continue being historically bad, every time they lose, Marlins fans that are listening to this, all I want you to do is go look up the latest Spencer Torkelson stats. Like therapy. If they lose and you're sad, go look up Spencer Torkelson. If they lose and you're sad, go look up Spencer Torkelson. On Twitter, go look up Tank for Torque. Because this is the generational bat that will change the Miami Marlins organization if they get the number one pick next year. The way that the Orioles feel about Rushman right now is the way that you and I should be feeling about Spencer Torkelson. And let me be very clear here and much, much more excited than they are. Torkelson is the most advanced bat that has come out of college over the last 10 years, and that's not my opinion. Just fil- oh, just filthy. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, if we get Andrew Vaughn, do we also get Torkelson, right? Torkelson is a rather tall, well, he's 6'1", 220, might be limited to first base, even though he's played other positions in his career. I say that you get the best va- the, the best bat available in each draft, and you run to the to the, to the front, to the commissioner, to whoever's there, and you give him the envelope. And in 2021, 2022, you put out a lineup with Andrew Vaughn right in front or right behind Spencer Torkelson, and you say hello to the NL East division champs over and over and over and over again. And if I sound crazy, I understand, but these guys, especially Torque, it'll make losing feel so good. This year, this year he has 18 home runs. 18 home runs in 47 games. He's hitting 355, getting on base 45% of the time, slugging 700. Per, 700. That's who you draft next year with a 1-1. So to answer the question about whether tanking or rebuilding or losing is going to be beneficial right now, the answer is yes. Because the answer is yes to the second question of, is it being done at the right time? Yes. If they need a pitching, no. But if you're in the, I don't know, if you're looking or you're shopping for generational bats, this and next year are the year to be at the top of the draft, and the Marlins have hit the jackpot. And I'm not talking about $10,000. I'm talking about the million. When they lose, go look up Spencer Torkelson. The last combo for today. This is the conversation that, like I said, has been requested a lot of times and I've stayed away from and I've avoided it because I don't like having the conversation about individuals that are still employed that, like I said, are busting their tails for the Marlins every day. The question is very simple. Do you approve of Danny, uh, of Don, Donnie's job, right? So Dan, Matt, uh, Don Mattingly, of Donnie's job at the moment, do you think that he'll be retained? He's on his last year of his contract with the fish. And if not, right, very hypothetical. 
Who are you looking to target if you were the Marlins? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So here's my first part about that. I'm not going to comment on his job because, quite frankly, I've already commented on it before. I, I don't know what that clubhouse is like. And what I care about is rapport and the very strategic decisions. I have no idea what the rapport is in the clubhouse. I'm not going to pretend that I know because I'm not that kind of person. What I have criticized before, I will continue to criticize. I think that they messed up Brinson's development. He did his part in it, but I think that this, where he was being hit, how he was being utilized was a joke. I think that some of the prospects being called up and hitting seventh and eighth is also a joke. I think this concept of sometimes overusing the pen arms to like to death, but then baby wrapping some of the starting pitcher's arm is is not the way that I would go about it. But that's fine. I'm not the coach. Donnie is, and he's you know one of the best minds in baseball. So if he sticks around, and I think he could, like why not? I understand. Then good. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be complaining about that. If he buys into this rebuild, which it seems like he has, from a quote I'm about to tell you, I'm about to share with you. And if the the team is behind him, and and you know the prospects coming up don't need a fresh start, and ma management is on the same side, okay, all right, then so be it. Someone actually asked him this recently. MLB.com reported, and this was, um, he was asked on if he was going to be with the Marlins when they actually start contending, right? And Manningly apparently laughed. And he said, quote, that's a question for another time, but either or, I still think the organization is going to be in a good spot. The main thing is I would love to see, I would love to see it through, but that is not my decision. No matter what happens with me, the organization is going in the right direction, end quote. It's a beautiful quote, right? And there's a level of transparency there. He didn't just deflect it. There was some level of, listen, I would love to see it through. That fragment sticks with me. That's a man who's saying, I know I'm in jeopardy. I know it's the last year, but I want to see it through. And if Jeter and Sherman and the rest of the ownership group agree, then I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because it means that they made their assessment and he's seeing it through. And I'll add one, one thing here before I go to what the hypothetical is of who I would target if he doesn't see it through. If he... Uh, if this hypothetical occurs and he's no longer the manager next year, right? Because I get it. Next year would be a good time to make a change. End of his contract. A lot of prospects are coming up. It's going to be a fresh new start for a fresh new face. Let a new leader come in. I would love for him to still be in the Marlins organization. An advisor, an executive. Just, just let him see it through. I'm okay with that. Uh, matter of fact, I would hope for that. But if he doesn't, as a manager at least, then who would I target? Well, number one, let me tell you what I'm looking for. And, and what I'm looking for is not to set the world on fire with this brand new managerial style. I, I, don't, I don't need anything new other than what's already working, which over the last five to 10 years have been the following. The new hires, right, instantly have been able to have this element of rapport. Like it's suddenly, suddenly executives and, and people are, are realizing that it's not just about a big name or it's not just about X's and O's. You have to be able to be leader of men, which is just crazy, right? Crazy. You know, I, they should have consulted a psychologist a long time ago. 
the the cussing, yelling, overly aggressive coaches really, when you look at sports psychology research, doesn't work that much. I'm not saying you're not allowed to get angry, but I'm saying you have to build rapport with your team. It matters. Chemistry matters. And I'm a big advanced stats guy. I think that's the only thing that they're off on. They keep trying to say, well, because you can't measure chemistry, you can't measure leadership. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Human behavior tells you it matters. What I've seen a trend on is age. Age and rapport has gone one-on-one with it the last five or 10 years. We've gotten younger coaches who've been able to build rapport with their players. I'm not saying that age should be a variable, but it's one to consider. So age and rapport. I want playing experience. We've seen that lately with new hires as well. They are ex-players who have been in the league recently because of their age. With the Marlins direction of analytics department and the, how, like, how much they're using it, the new manager probably has to have an understanding of advanced stats. But I won't pretend that I know what these individuals that I'm going to list out feel about advanced stats, but I'm just throwing that out there as a variable to consider. And then the last thing is um, a question that I would ask if I was hiring in this hiring process is how they want to manage a young team, because that's what you're going to have. Next year, a lot of the vets that are here right now will not be there. Next year, a lot of the prospects in AA and AAA that are not at the major league level right now will be at the major league level. You're going to be, you know, averaging what, maybe 25 years of age, 26 years of age for the entire team. That's something to consider. And that's, again, where age might come into play. So, so what four do I look like? Or what four do I look at, rather? Number one, Carlos Beltran. 42 years of age. Puerto Rican, which can help here, okay? We don't hire someone, and you don't hire someone or promote someone or whatever the case is for the nationality. But listen, it's a part of the picture down in South Florida. He's interested in, in coaching. He interviewed for the Yankees job uh, right before Aaron Boone got, got the, uh, the, the position. But he must have done something right in that interview because Cashman and the ownership group brought him back. And he's currently a special advisor in the baseball ops for the Yankees. So something went right in that interview. He wants to manage. He's someone that would be perfect down here in Miami, ex-player, hell of an ex-player as well, one, known as one of the nicest guys in baseball. Like, I mean, he's, this is just something that's known. He's known as one of the nicest human beings in baseball. So rapport is not going to be an issue there. Again, young, wants to coach, intelligent. Carlos Beltran. I'm not ordering these, but just the first one, Carlos Beltran. Second, Jorge Posada. He is currently already in the organization, special advisor of baseball ops for the Marlins. And, you know, it might help that Derek Jeter was his best man in his wedding. Now, I say it might help. It also might hurt because you make no mistake about it. As soon as Jorge Posada is announced as the Marlins manager, oh, man, the tantrums that are going to be thrown on Twitter. And, you know, on Dan Lebetard's show or on calling in to the shows or whatever the case is, the tantrums. Oh, he hired the best man. Oh, he hired that. Da, 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 da. You know, if you take that away. Why wouldn't you want one of the more intelligent ex-baseball players, Hall of Famers, who played catcher for the dynasty New York Yankees, who lives in South Florida, speaks Spanish, is Cuban and Dominican, and is already in the Marlins organization to be the manager? Almost makes too much sense for that not to happen. Three, and this is my personal um, wild card, I guess we could say, one of my favorites, Mark DeRosa. Depending on your age, you're going to either think of Mark DeRosa as the guy that you see on MLB Central, on MLB Network, or as a serviceable utility man uh, who had some really nice seasons, you know, with the Braves and with other organizations, Cardinals and all that. 
um, and one of the smartest guys in the game. Actually, one of the few Ivy Leaguers to ever play baseball. And at least from what we know about him in the uh, of what he says as an analyst for MLB Network, he has he's a combination. He's a very healthy combination of old school and advanced stats, which is something that I absolutely love. So Mark DeRosa, someone to think about. And I guess because I gave you the heritage of everyone else, Mark is Italian. And the last guy, which is on my list, but I don't see on anyone else's list, Sandy Alomar Jr., Sandy, at age 52, which is nice and young, if you ask me, is actually the oldest of the four that I mentioned. He is, again, 52. He is Puerto Rican. Again, that might help. And he's also someone who has shown interest in, in coaching. Interviewed for the Blue Jays, has shown interest with the Cubs and the Red Sox when they had their managerial openings. And he is currently coaching. If anything, he's the one that's most, um, most I guess I want to say, in coaching, yeah? He's the most in coaching right now. He's been with the Indians since 2009. He's been the bench coach. Then he was the first base coach. But he's in the game. And he's in the trenches. That's, I think that's what I was going with. He's in the trenches of coaching at the moment. So Sandy Alomar Jr., another individual who's very intelligent, had a very good career. We had to think a lot. Someone who could come in, speak Spanish, speak English as well. I don't know. I won't pretend to know how Sandy is with with you know advanced stats with being a part of the indians organization you can make your own conclusion there someone who i think should at least get an interview so again carlos beltran jorge posada mark DeRosa, sandy Alomar jr are my four but i'll mention a few extra just to get the juices going a little bit number one is uh, you know there's there's a really great follow on twitter alf 888 he 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 loves dave martinez as an option and i agree with him now dave martinez is currently uh, he's currently the coach of the Nationals. But the way that the Nationals are going, I don't know if he'll survive because the Nationals ownership just loves rotating, very you know, Laurie-esque, uh, their managers whenever something's not working out. So I think Dave Martinez is someone who could be on the block and could be available for them next year, and I wouldn't mind that hire. A, a few other suggestions that I got, Trey Hillman, he's ready with the Marlins. And then I got some Marlins-related ones, which really, it's interesting for me. The, one that I gave and others others gave as well. So others given were, you know, Girardi. He's been with the Marlins before, then he had good success with the Yankees. The whole Loria thing again, just always, man, always Loria. Uh, that's someone who could get a call. And then Marlins ex-players. And my favorite at the top would be Mike Lowell. Oh, man. I would love Mike Lowell to be the manager of the Marlins. When next time that they win World Series, Mike Lowell is the manager of the Marlins? Oh, my God. And that's just my bias, right? That's just my bias. I like Mike Lowell. I like him as a player. I like him as a person. I would love him as a manager. He's known as one of the smartest guys. Super easy and relatable. Really good rapport. He's really good on MLB Network as well. I think he would just make sense. And then other people say, well, people like Conine, Jeff Conine. And I don't, I don't mind that as well. I think that that would be another good option. You, you bring ex-Marlins players back in, even though, again, obviously I've already said what my option is. I've said my four. And then I think that if we're going the Marlins route, Girardi is great, but I think I would likely go with Michael Lowell first. Just because how great would it be to see him host, hoist that title? All right. So we don't know if it'll happen. We don't know if Mattingly gets retained, but I will say this last thing. 
when we're talking this about this conversation, if Mattingly wasn't with the Marlins right now, tell me that I couldn't make a good argument for him being one of the candidates as well. Also, very successful career. Also, very intelligent. Has ties to Derek Jeter. And has experience and, you know, wants to coach. He's also bought into the analytics a bit. And for those that think he's definitely out the door, I would say that you should yield caution there. Because he might not be. And because maybe he shouldn't be. Maybe he should be in the organization. Maybe he should have a different position. But that's not for me to choose. All I can say is that if he's not there, then Sandy Alomar Jr., Mark DeRosa, Jorge Posada, and Carlos Belchan should probably get a look. All right, so that's going to do it for our conversation piece. The last thing that I want to leave you with, there's not too much news that I want to give you other than, again, a nice happy Mother's Day. And I want to let you know, just in case you want to follow him, that we are scheduled to have a guest next week. Tony Valdez is a lifelong Marlins fan and, and ha- has a lot of insight to give on the Marlins, on the changes, on what the rebuild has looked like, what the rebranding was, that initial conversation of the rebranding. Was it too Hispanic-centric? Was it too Miami geographic-centric? Uh, he has a lot for us that he's going to offer us. So he's going to be with us if everything goes according to plan next, next week. If you want to give him a follow, again, his name is Tony Valdez. He's at Tony, T-O-N-Y. Then Dami or Dami, D-A-M-Y, one six two seven. So again, at Tony Dami sixteen twenty seven at Twitter. Go ahead and give him a follow. He'll be on the show with us next week. One more time, Happy Mother's Day and Mama, I love you. Go fish. <laughs>